You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. All right, hope everybody is doing well in this time of uncertainty. Hopefully, like they say, the economies will slowly start to open up and we won't have any any hiccups or anything like that. Luckily, the one thing that, at least in the states that I hunt, they haven't been able to take away is turkey hunting. And I know that isn't the case everywhere, so definitely not taking that for granted. But I wanted to basically take this podcast and go over the recent hunt that we did in Minnesota with my wife, Sam. She got her first turkey. If you haven't seen the video, that video is already up on YouTube, uh, so definitely go check that out. And then in this podcast, obviously there's going to be some overlap with what's in the video, but more so than that, I'll be able to give some more uh, background detail and some of the decisions why we did certain things. There are some questions in the comments of the videos that um, weren't really answered super well in the video itself, so I'll go over those also. And uh, I guess for me, just a, a quick update, I am starting my Wisconsin sea season uh, really shortly, like just in a couple of days. So in lieu of trying to go out and roost birds at night in Minnesota, cause I still have a Minnesota tag for myself with archery. I've started going over to Wisconsin and starting to do some scouting and, um, get a feel for what the birds are doing there because each of my Wisconsin tags, uh, it seems like so far fewer hunters, more bird sign. And basically I feel like my odds are a little bit better there. And I have shotgun tags there as opposed to the archery. Not super opposed to the archery tag that I got in Minnesota, but um, definitely I feel like things are stacked against me right now trying to fill the tag in that way in the style that I typically like to hunt. So I'm definitely excited to get out and start chasing some of those birds in Wisconsin. So back to Sam's hunt. As some of you guys know, Sam had started hunting with me for the first time last fall. And that was, of course, deer hunting at that time. And we did several hunts together. She wasn't out there all the time with me. She didn't come out to North Dakota. Um, she didn't hunt all the time, you know, on some of the marsh hunts that I went on. But definitely a handful of hunts, both locally. Uh, she went on a, a hunt that I did with uh, Shane Simpson and uh, and Sean McVeigh 
over in central Wisconsin. She came out for that. Uh, she went down to Missouri, as some of you guys I'm sure saw in the video there. Uh, and she actually, even though we didn't make any videos about it, she did deer hunting of her own with archery equipment last fall. Uh, a handful of hunts that I was out in the tree with her, basically just kind of, you know, guiding her through the process and things like that. And we did have, a, you know, a few close opportunities. So having that, you know, kind of experience in her first year going through a lot of work, um, definitely, you know, public land. I didn't make anything super easy for her on the deer hunting front, but she kind of knew what she was getting into. Uh, based on the fact that she got through that last season and is still showing some interest, that's definitely, you know, a sign to me that, you know, she's she's got what it takes mentally to kind of keep doing this and, and seems to be interested in it, which is fantastic. So come this spring, she wanted to go turkey hunting and we bought her a tag over the counter in Minnesota. Minnesota for the first time this year went to an over the counter for the majority of their tags, as opposed to a lottery as it always used to be. And so what that basically means is that you would expect if the first couple seasons, A and B were the most sought after from a lottery perspective, that most people over the counter are going to try and buy those tags. And in my experience around the, the metro area, definitely it seems like there's a lot more hunting pressure these first couple of weeks than typical. But for Sam's hunt, I was lucky enough to get an invite again to my buddy Jared Gosen's place out in western Minnesota. It's a place that I went to a couple of years ago um, and shot a bird on opening morning, just a couple hours into the hunt. And knowing the area a little bit, knowing that there was going to be a little bit lower pressure hunt. There might be a better opportunity to make multiple setups and, and be able to make plans and kind of hear some gobbling and get more of a, a full turkey hunting experience than you might get just running and gunning around the, the metro area where there's there's not a, not a ton of gobbling compared to what we might experience out there. I definitely wanted to have, you know, a good experience for her. So definitely we were more than willing to, you know, take them up on that offer to head out there. And super appreciative of that uh, that opportunity. So we basically drove out the night before we wanted to do our first hunt. And we kind of got there in time to uh, roost birds, but it was a little bit on the later side of things. Didn't hear any gobbling, but fortunately, uh, you know, having lived in the area, uh, Jared basically said, you know, here's you know a couple of spots where they typically like to roost. And so that next morning we were all prepared to get up there. We were going to go right where these birds often roost and set up and right in the, this field edge. But unfortunately the weather did not cooperate that first morning. Uh, it looked like there was a chance of rain. And as the alarms went off at three something in the morning, you could hear the rain just pounding on the window outside and then looked at the temperature, 33 degrees, which I'm honestly surprised it wasn't snow. I would have expected it to snow that cold, but um, it was rain, so would have been miserable. We got dressed, we got, you know, rain gear on. We were still prepared to go out there, just hoping that we'd get a gap in the rain so that the camera gear wouldn't get soaked. But uh, eventually just decided to hold off and let the birds hit the ground and then try and make a move on them from there. Uh, not too long after sunrise, the, uh, the clouds started to peel away and um, things started to dry out. So... We heard the birds not long after they hit the ground. You can see in the video where we're standing out by the truck. We could hear those birds gobbling for a bit and decided to try and get ahead of them. Well, we had a little bit of struggles just trying to relocate them again once they hit the ground. Of course, they stopped gobbling as much. We kind of had an idea of where they might be headed. Uh, got glass on a tom 
going across the field and going into a woodlot. So then we made a plan to head around that open field and into that woodlot once he disappeared. And so the thought process was there, if that bird can see us, even if he's 400 yards away or 300 yards or whatever he was, the likelihood of us trying to, you know, sneak up on him or uh, try and, you know, fan him in or anything like that seemed very unlikely. And it seemed like the better odds for that particular next step would be to wait until he can't see us anymore and then just relocate so we're no longer in that spot where he believes us to be. And so that's exactly what we did. We made the long way around, got on the backside of that woodlot that he went into, and made a setup and started calling. And while we didn't hear that bird again, we didn't call him in, one of the most just crazy experiences with a coyote uh, that any of us have experienced, I've had coyotes come in when I'm turkey hunting before, and usually they'll sneak in, you'll see them, they see you, and they're, they take off, right? Uh, occasionally you hear stories or see videos of you know coyotes attacking the guy's decoys, which would also be a pretty crazy experience. But uh, this coyote basically just came in from behind Sam and Jared. They were sitting together, and I was about 20 yards off to the side. I had my bow with me, but I wasn't really planning on using it. Um, I was more just kind of sitting away from them just to kind of you know keep our silhouettes spread out a little bit anyway so it wasn't just a big cluster of bodies. And this coyote comes in within 10 yards of them, and at first it appears like he doesn't see them sitting there just camouflage well enough or whatever and he's got his eyes just peeled on that decoy and so he kept coming in coming in and he got within probably five yards of jared before he finally put his hands up said hey you know like you get out of here or whatever uh sam was to his left so in order for her to swing the gun on the the coyote she'd have had to aim the gun over top of him and and you know luckily the uh gun safety instilled in her said that that's definitely not a good idea also she wasn't even sure if she could shoot the coyote. We hadn't, you know, gone over that kind of a scenario or whether or not the turkey shot that she was using would actually be strong enough to penetrate the hide. Uh, so she was holding off on the shot and, uh, Jared got some really good footage of that thing just a couple of yards away. And he basically said, Hey, if this thing comes in front of you, you, know, you can, you can shoot it. And it never really did. It went behind him a couple of yards and then kind of finally slunk back off into the woods but I mean, you could tell just like the, the level of excitement, like, how did that just happen? Um, very rare. I, I still cannot believe that that coyote acted the way that it did and that it just didn't spook. I mean, it hung around for a solid, I mean, 30, 40 seconds, at least after we made them, made it aware of our presence. It didn't do anything. It just kept looking back at the decoy, looking over at us, kind of you know, pacing back and forth. Just weird. So that was that was really cool. We would have kept there, kept sitting there and continued uh, to call. Only that the camera, the main camera that Jared was filming with, all of a sudden showed dead battery. Like ten minutes after it showed two hours of battery, so like something was definitely uh, going on with that camera. So we went back to the the house and just decided to take a couple hours off and you know miss that nice late morning, you know early afternoon time frame. And just get the all the cameras and everything charged back up to head back out there in the afternoon. And so by the time we got back out in the afternoon, you know, it was kind of quiet. It was hot. It was sunny. We walked some of the ridges. And they're not really ridges. It's mostly flat land there. It's, it's a lot of field. It's 
woodlots, it's swamp and little creek bottoms and stuff like that. So when I say ridge, it's only like, you know, maybe 10, 15 feet elevation change. But um, we started walking down those lines and just, you know, kind of running a gun and just, you know, walk a couple hundred yards, call, listen, walk a couple hundred yards, call, listen, do some loud cutting, locator calls, just trying to get a, an idea of where those birds might be. And at this time, we still don't really know how many turkeys are in this particular area that we have access to. We know that historically, the farms around this area tend to have a decent number of birds, uh, but we don't know exactly how many are on the the property that we have access to, with the exception of the ones that um, we had heard gobbling on the roost. And we still didn't know how many were in that group either. But that whole afternoon, we basically covered, you know, six over six miles of walking by the time we got back to the uh, the starting point again. And not one gobble, didn't see any birds, but we did find a lot of sign, a lot of droppings, you know, a few feathers. Couldn't really see any tracks just because the, the grass and the ground was pretty hard, but definitely turkey sign. Uh, so then we just decided to do some blind calling sequences. Eventually it started to rain again, so we headed back to keep the camera gear out of the rain and went back out for the, like the last, you know, half hour or so just driving around in the truck to try and relocate birds for the next morning. And sure enough, the, the group of turkeys that we saw out in the field ended up being the same group of turkeys we assumed that were there the first morning. And we watched them mill around in the field for a little bit and then walk right back up to the uh, edge of the wood line where they had been roosting the night before, which is roughly the same night or same spot that they've been roosting for the last several days. And we didn't see them fly up. They kind of crested over the, a knob in the field, but we assumed that, okay, they're probably roosting in that exact same spot. And earlier we had gone up there as part of our, you know, run and gun and just said, okay, if they are roosted here, where are they likely roosted exactly? And where should we set up in order to try and, you know, maximize our our possibilities, especially if the birds go this direction after fly down, which would be the direction they went that morning. So we're, we already had kind of an idea. We had a spot pinned on Onyx where we'd want to set up that next morning. And we decided based on how early the birds had started gobbling that morning before that we were going to get out there even earlier, just not take any chances. We knew exactly where these birds are set up. We wanted to get in there early. And even though it was going to be cold, like 38 degrees it wasn't as cold as it was the day before so we just bundled up and got in there super early we were all set up ready to hunt by like you know 5 a.m i believe sunrise was 6 20 ish or so so that just gives you kind of a general idea but what getting in there that early allowed us to also do was kind of clear the area to make a shooting lane for sam because the edge of the field had all of this you know like grass and weeds and and sticks and stuff like that and you can kind of see that in the video. It's just kind of this little wall and it made me have a really tough time trying to focus the camera. I uh, should have made it, uh, you know, kind of a clearing lane for me to run the camera. But um, basically I was able to take a, a pruning shears and just spend like five or 10 minutes in the pitch black, just trimming out a little lane for Sam to be able to shoot out to the decoy. And we were probably a, a couple feet down, almost in like a, you know, a small ditch right off that field edge. So if we hadn't done that trimming, if we hadn't, gotten there early enough to take the time to be able to do that it would have been really tough for Sam to be able to get a shot at the field because there was no good trees really close to the field I mean the closest one was probably 15 yards and you'd have a really tough time actually shooting to the field 
So we had to basically sit in, you know, large bushes right near the edge of the field to have the best combination of cover as well as, you know, be close enough to the field where we could, you know, still get a, a decent shot. And really what we were hoping on or hoping for is that the birds would land in the field. If they did not land in the field, if they landed in the woods, then there was a good likelihood that they were going to travel within the woods because, again, that edge of the field is, is pretty brushy. Uh, they would travel within the woods for at least probably 50 to 60 yards before there was an opening and they'd go out in the field there. So we really had our fingers crossed that those birds were going to fly down and land in the field. Well, fast forward a few minutes, the tom starts gobbling, and even before he started gobbling, you could start to hear him drumming up in the tree, and he was a lot closer than we thought he was going to be. We were expecting that he was going to be probably 60, 80 yards down from us, but he was more like maybe 15, 20 yards to the right of us, and then behind us another, you know, 30 yards. So he was close, uh, which made the goblin pretty exciting. Um, but it definitely made us nervous, and, and obviously, more than I was saying, we had to be absolutely still. Besides the fact that we don't know how many hens were there, we had seen five other hens the night before, so they're all out there somewhere. So we try to stay as still as absolutely possible. And that kind of brings up another point about kind of what you can and can't get away with. I think, and I've heard a lot of other good turkey hunters say this too, that if you get in there early enough, you can get away with more than you might expect if you're not just totally obnoxious as you're getting ready in the morning. Because all throughout the night, they're used to, you know, like deer and coyotes and whatever else walking through the woods at night. And they're used to that. It's not spooking them every time they have something go underneath them on the ground. So if you get in there early enough and you're, you know, not totally just making a racket, you can do things like, you know, clear shooting lanes and, you know, get your decoy set up and all that kind of stuff. So by the time it started to, you know, crack light over the horizon and by the time that bird started gobbling, we were, we were ready. And he gobbled a lot in the video, but he gobbled a lot more in real life. And I, I cut out a lot of just that total time span during the video just to make it you know, more of a condensed video, but that thing, every few seconds, you know, several times a minute, he was gobbling for however long it took till he flew down. And I counted the number of gobbles in total, uh, for that entire span. And it was right around a hundred from the time that he started gobbling until right before he flew down. And once he hit the ground, he didn't gobble anymore. He, you know, spit and drummed and you can see that in the video, but he didn't gobble anymore once he hit the ground. And you can tell in the video that right after he hit the ground, uh, Sam adjusted her her positioning a little bit to kind of get ready. And when she did that, the sticks behind her and the bush moved a little bit. And then at the same time, I was reaching up on into the camera to uh, adjust the focus and, and just change the positioning of that framing of the camera. So between that, I don't know if it was me and the hen seeing me or if it was the hen seeing her move, but there was a hen not 30 yards behind us that picked up some kind of movement and she got nervous and you can hear her start, you know, putting in the tree up behind us. And that was the first time where I thought, Oh no, we might be in trouble because where the bird landed, Sam did not have a shot. He would have had to come, you know, another 40 yards, uh, up the field before he finally got to the decoy where we had trimmed those lanes. And I don't know that Sam had the, would have the wherewithal to kind of, you know, quick stand up and, and take a shot before he would fly off. If he, if he did act like he was going to do that. So 
you know, we really just had our fingers crossed and just tried not to move at all. Um, Sam credit her. She, she said the same thing after the hunt. She's like, yeah, as soon as I saw that hand, I, I did my best to freeze and not make absolutely any movements. You know, once I heard her, cause I mean, she understood that that hand could definitely bust us. And, you know, it was the same for me. I, I had to just really make my camera movements as tiny as possible. I wasn't reaching my hand back up and down. I kept it on that, on that, uh, that fluid head for the video camera and didn't even adjust the focus, just left it on auto and just zoomed all the way back out and just, you know, hope for the best. Luckily that decoy was captivating enough for that time that even though he, he showed a couple signs of, of kind of, you know, leaning back and, and, you know, being hesitant and starting to look up at that hen and act like something was, was actually going on. Then he would kind of calm back down and he would get back into his kind of, you know, quarter strut and then start working back toward the decoy again. So luckily after a few minutes, he had basically made it all the way to the decoy and I'm thinking, okay, at any moment now, Sam's going to, you know, she's going to take the safety off. She's going to shoot. You know, I know that that bird's in her shooting lane right now. And I was looking at her and she had her gun at the ready, but it wasn't, you know, she didn't have her, her head down on the gun yet. She still had to, you know, raise it up a couple inches and, and put her head down to be in shooting position. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, okay, you know, any second now. Um, and then that hen, she, she started putting a little bit more. She started getting more nervous. And then the Tom himself, you can, you can see he started to, to get nervous. He started putting a little bit too. And I'm thinking, okay, like it's now or never, you gotta, you gotta shoot. So I, I whispered to Sam, I was like, yeah, shoot him. And, uh, I can see, okay, like well, that registered. Um, and, and she put her head down on the gun and a couple of seconds later shot and just hit him. Perfect. Just nailed him right in the head, dropped him on the spot. And you know, the rest is, the rest is history. Um, and she said afterwards, the thing that made her hesitant at first, because she had that shooting opportunity right away, was just the fact that when that, when that Tom first came in, you could see his beard was very short. His beard was only a couple inches long. Um, it looked like a Jake beard and she wasn't a hundred percent sure if she could shoot a Jake. Um, we kind of discussed it, but you know, in the heat of the moment, she was just overly cautious and, and it was me, you know, kind of whispering, shoot him that kind of said, okay, like, all right, I can do this. You know, it's, everything's good to go. Now I can take, you know, the finger off the safety and, and, uh, go ahead and shoot the bird. So we got up there and, and, you know, picked him up and put the tag on and took pictures and, and Sam was pretty excited. I mean, she's kind of like me a little bit, um, in the fact that she doesn't, ex she doesn't express like extreme emotion on the exterior. Um, but you could tell she was definitely excited, um, that she was able to shoot her first turkey. And I mean, it just, just came together super well. <laughs> she made the comment that, uh, she likes it when you can get done right, you know, off first light like that, as opposed to running around all day. Uh, so I can't blame her there, but we're planning on doing a couple things with that bird. Um, we kept the fan. We, we didn't keep the wings, but we gave a couple of the feathers to, to Jared. He's going to do some stuff with them. And, uh, the tail fan we may mount, uh, you can notice he's missing one feather in his tail fan, but not super concerned about that. The, uh, the meat itself, not, and I was kind of surprised about this. Not a single one of those pellets made its way into the breast meat, uh, or the leg meat. I mean, it was just clean. Like she must've just clean hit that bird right in the head. And he was close enough that that, you know, cloud of pellets was, you know, not spread out enough that, that she hit any meat, which is awesome. And, um, 
we took out both breasts. We took out the thighs, you know, any extra meat we could scrap up. Uh, not a huge gizzard person yet. Uh, I know some people take the gizzards and eat them. I probably will start, I'll at least try one at some point, probably this spring. Um, to be honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly what you need to do, but I'm sure I'll, I'll figure it out at some point this spring, the next time I, I shoot a bird and try that out. But, uh, Sam ended up finding a recipe on, I think it was Instagram where, um, it was somebody from meat eater posted a recipe about a Buffalo wild Turkey sandwich that just looks fantastic. So we're going to try that with the breasts. And then one of our favorite things to do with the legs in terms of cooking the meat and this, this works really well for wild turkey legs. It is very similar to the process that we use for cooking deer shanks, which is also really good. It's just basically, you know, just slow cooking the heck out of them. And we've done it in the crock pot before where you just take, you can do it with like broth or you can do it with even like a sauce. Like I've done it before where I just take a, a bit of barbecue sauce and just layer like, you know, an inch deep in the crock pot and put the turkey leg in there and then just let it slow cook for a couple of days. And it does take a lot longer than you would expect. And the first couple of times that I tried cooking turkey legs, I was nervous that I had overcooked it because I would, you know, tap into it with a fork and it was still kind of tough. But what I found is that if it still feels tough, it means you haven't cooked it long enough yet. I remember Hank Shaw saying something once where he commented with wild game, the two biggest mistakes are cooking the good parts too long, meaning like back straps on a deer, for example, and cooking the, the tougher parts too little, meaning like all those pieces with the you know, tendons and ligaments and fascia, not cooking that stuff long enough. And so when you think it's, it's probably should be done and it's still feeling tough, just give it more time, give it, you know, some more sauce or some more moisture with like a stock or a broth or something. And just let it keep cooking and you'll know when it's done because you can just take a fork and just peel that meat right off the bone and all that connective tissue turns just kind of to jello. And if you do it with like a, a barbecue sauce or something like that, it definitely puts a lot of flavor into the meat right away. But you don't have to do that if you want to get just kind of the full flavor of the meat itself. Another way we'll do it with deer shanks, I'm sure that would work you know, equally well with these turkey legs would be to use like a Dutch oven or a roasting pan and just kind of lightly sear the outside of the meat on that shank and just season it, uh, you know, like some salt, uh, pepper, just basic seasoning like that. Then, uh, put a little bit of butter in that pan or oil, uh, get it nice and hot and, you know, sear that meat a little bit and then take it out, put in some, you know, little, uh, cloves of garlic, um, let that simmer a little bit, some onion, if you want to do that, let that, uh, simmer a little bit in that hot mixture. And then just take a little bit of like red or white wine and pour that in and just kind of scrape up all the, the bits of, uh, cake down material on that pan and just kind of get them loose back again. Let that simmer down a little bit and then pour in some stock. And then you put in your, you know, your shank or in this case, turkey leg, and then put the cover on that, put it in the oven at 300 degrees for like, could be three hours, could be four hours, however long it takes once again, until you peel it out. And that thing is just melt off the bone tender and all that connective tissue is just turned into jello. And it's, it's a really fantastic way to be able to cook some of those tougher pieces of meat. And it's definitely our preferred way to be able to cook those more tough pieces of meat to the point where I probably won't ever take a deer shank again and turn it into ground meat 
will always be cooking that roasted shank recipe. And with turkey legs, it's never something we're going to leave out in the field. It's always something that you almost look forward to even more to the breast, more than the breast, because it's just, there's so much flavor, you know, it's nice, dark meat and it's, you got all that extra, um, all that extra substance in it. It just gives a little bit different flavor than you would get from just a, a breast meat itself. So I definitely recommend for sure. If you guys who are turkey hunters and typically only eat the breasts, definitely encourage you to go for the legs too. Uh, if you're somebody who's getting interested in turkey hunting or just don't know that much about it, um, definitely wild turkey kind of gets a bad rap in relation to store-bought turkey. But I mean, there's ways of cooking it that are just make it taste fantastic to me. And it just doesn't exactly, you know, you can't compare it exactly to a store-bought turkey because it's just, it's different. You got to cook it a little bit different, but the end result is fantastic. So Sam is going to come back out turkey hunting again. This wasn't like a one-time thing. We're already planning our next trips. And like I mentioned before, I got this sea season in Wisconsin coming up. I have a, a D tag after that in Wisconsin. Then I have an E tag and I have an F tag and I'll probably buy some more F tags. Uh, I'll be hunting with Shane a couple times th- later this spring, uh, potentially even meeting up with some other people to do some collaborations with YouTube. So Sam's probably going to buy some season E and F tags and it'll just basically be, we'll just keep buying tags and just keep hunting and covering new land and just having a good old time. So looking forward to it. Thanks everybody for listening in. Um, and just kind of as a, a general reminder too, discount codes, DIY 10, that is the code for both a 10% discount on fobs for archery. It's also the same discount code that you can use for vector custom shop for their HMR or hammer arrows. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from Bobby Boswell or myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman and Boudreaux Boswell on YouTube. And with that, thanks for listening.